Hi, I'm Scott David Chase, and this is the For the Love of Film podcast. Uh, it's a Sunday morning. I'm heading to one of my th- three jobs, well, now two jobs. Uh, uh, I just worked my last day at my third job, so um, yeah, I, I'm going full-time at one of my other jobs, and I, the job I'm going to now, I work two days a week. So, you know, the job schedule is a big part of why I haven't seen as many movies in the theater this year. Um, I, you know, it's February 3rd now. My last day off was, uh, or I'm sorry, it's March 3rd now. My last day off was February 2nd. I do have a day off coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, but I've kind of had to schedule days off and, um, you know, it, it does wear me down a little bit. I'm not complaining by any means because I'm I have multiple jobs my own own doing and uh, yeah, but I'm trying to make some changes in my life in the next couple months so that I will have some more free time so I have more time to do art, more time to uh, see films, more time to talk about films I've seen on this podcast. So I appreciate everyone who listens to this and I'm gonna keep doing it because. Uh, you know, I watch movies all the time. But again, so this week I only saw one film in the theater, and then I'm going to talk about three films I saw on home video. Um, I The film I saw in the theater was How to Train Your Dragon, uh, The Hidden World, I believe is the title. It's, it's the third film in the series, in w- what they're claiming is going to be the last installment, um, and it's... You know, it doesn't have the the second film uh, was called How to Drain Your Dragon Two, uh, and I saw that this week as well. I'd seen the first one a while ago, uh, but I'm also going to talk about the Lawrence Kasdan biopic film Wyatt Earp, starring Kevin Costner, and the Helen Slater uh, film The Legend of Billie Jean. So. Um, it is so we're one week past the ninety-first uh, Academy Awards. The you know the the twenty nineteen Academy Awards that celebrated the films of twenty eighteen and uh, Green Book won the Best Picture, which surprised a lot of people, um, myself certainly included, because I don't think it was the best film of the year. But um, as I said before. Uh, I actually think If Beale Street Could Talk was the best film of 2018, and that wasn't even nominated. So um, I did watch the Oscars at uh, Bob Scantman and Mary Clancy's house. Uh, Bob, as you probably know, is on this podcast quite a lot. And uh, so at the end of it, we did like a little recap, so uh, or just sort of closing thoughts on the Oscar ceremony. So that's going to be tacked on to the end of this episode if you're interested um but uh yeah it, i've thought a lot about the oscars because uh um you know i have a lot of friends and acquaintances who work in various disciplines of the arts you know music theater dance so on and so forth and a lot of them whenever there's a there's a big award ceremony coming up 
but particularly with the Oscars, a lot of, lot of them resound about how art shouldn't be about competition, so on and so forth, which I, I actually pretty much agree with. Um, you know, first of all, who is to say what is the best picture of the year? Um, obviously, it's all just about opinion. Um, but uh, the Oscars have been a... Uh, Watching the Oscars has been a tradition for me and my family since I was probably in junior high school. You know, once a year we'd get to stay up real late on a school night because the Oscar ceremony is always on a Sunday night. Uh, I could just stay up late and watch this. And, you know, my memories of it going back, this is a pre-social media, even pre-internet time uh, where, you know, if you didn't... If you didn't get to see it live, the only way to really find out would be to like check the paper the next day. Um, but there was something kind of magical about the Oscars for me because, like I said, it was a pre-social media day before every Hollywood actor had a Twitter account and an Instagram account where it was a rare chance where you got to see not so much... I mean, you did get to see all these actors dressed up, which I don't, I don't really care about, but I know a lot of people, uh, that's why they tune in, uh, but get to see them speaking their own words while either, you know, in their acceptance speeches or presenting. Um, it, yes, I know that the presentations uh, are written for them, uh, but occasionally people do go off script, but it was kind of a, a chance to see these actors as themselves, not as a character they were playing, get a glimpse behind that. And not, to me, because movies have always held like a, a sense of magic and wonder, that was like an added little, little bonus, uh, getting to see my favorite actors, uh, being, being people. Uh, and I think that's probably why I still really like the Oscars. Um, I've, always enjoyed the the show and even though yes you know most of these actors ha have a social media presence and you do get more of a sense of them as people you get to see them interacting with each other kind of goofing around and it's fun for me and uh, that is I think the biggest draw ra rather than the actual awards uh, but it also does draw attention to some films and performances that, you know, don't always, you know, kind of slip through the cracks and performances that I wouldn't have necessarily taken notice of uh, otherwise. So, you know, that's a big part of why the Oscars have always been a tradition for me for, you know, at least 30 years now. So, yeah, um, this was a weird Oscar ceremony. It certainly wasn't my favorite, but, um, there's always moments that, uh, were enjoyable. Uh, there was no host this year and I think it actually went smoother than in the years past where they have had hosts. Um, so yeah, we'll see going forward if they continue with that or if they have a host next year. But, uh, yeah, anyway, on to film. So, uh, I had seen the first how to train your dragon film and really liked it. And, uh, you know, it is an, it's an animated film. It's a DreamWorks animation film based on a 
uh, young adult book series. Uh, from, from what I've gleaned, it is loosely based on it. Um, they take a lot of liberties and kind of go in their own direction, particularly with the second and third installments of the films. Um, but yeah, I'd seen the first one several years ago on home video. And then, you know, my friends with kids had talked about how great the second one was. And I, and I didn't avoid it. I just never got around to seeing it. But then all of a sudden this third one came up and, uh, I will say, um, my desire to see it opening weekend was certainly influenced by Bob Scammon's seeing it opening night or actually I think he thought saw it on a Thursday night uh and loved it and I was like all right well I should see it then uh particularly with animated films Bob's Bob's um, thoughts on them are usually uh pretty right on for how I'm gonna feel about them so I wanted to see it but then I was like oh wait I never saw the second one so I actually uh I found a used copy of How to Drain Your Dragon 2 uh, that was train, not drain. I realized I just mumbled there. So how to train your dragon too. I found a used copy on Blu-ray, uh, at the local record store, Bull Moose Music. Um, purchased it. Uh, but I also, I have an eBay store where I sell stuff. So, uh, cause I didn't own the first how to train your dragon. And as, as much as I thought it was great, uh, I, I'm not buying that many movies anymore, and it basically has to be a film that I love, and I'm going to watch multiple times for me to own it. But this How you Train, How to Train Your Dragon Two is not available on Netflix or Hulu or any of those, and um, it was on Amazon Prime. But to rent it, it was I think it was nine ninety nine or seven ninety nine to rent it, and it was nine ninety nine to own it digitally. And I don't, I don't collect movies digitally you know if I want a movie bad enough to to quote unquote own it uh, I'm gonna buy a physical copy of it so I found it super cheap at Bull Moose paid five dollars for it but immediately listed it on eBay and then uh, it actually sold fairly quickly I sold it for more than I paid for it which was a win so I watched it the next morning and went you know about an hour after I finished it I went and saw the third film so the How to Train Your Dragon 2 and How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, uh, kind of have blended together for me. Uh, you know, I had a co-worker, at, you know, because I, I really enjoyed both of them. And I told a co-worker immediately after I saw it that I had just seen it and he was interested if I liked it or not. And I said I thought it was excellent. Um, you know, I, I, it's it's early in the year. We're not even at a quarter of the way through the year, but so far the third How to Train Your Dragon film is the best film I've seen in 2019. Um, again, it's not saying much because I've seen, I think that's the 10th film I've seen this this year theatrically. But, um, you know, it's a series that has maintained its, its excellence uh, across all three. And, um, and a lot of these series... You know, they'll keep going uh, as long as they can, especially if they're making money. I mean, I'm saying this because uh, Toy Story 4 is coming out soon. There was a preview for Toy Story 4 b- before How to Train Your Dragon 3. and uh, But I think they really, they really, with the plot, 
of how to train your dragon, the hidden world made it so that a fourth film is unlikely, pretty unlikely. And, uh, I mean, you know, and with these franchises, they can always do like prequels and, uh, you know, alternate timeline type stuff. Uh, so who knows, but as it stands, I thought it was an interesting story arc for, uh, Hiccup, the, the main character, the young Viking voiced by Jay Baruchel, uh, and Toothless, his, his Night Fury dragon. Um, you know, the voice cast, excellent across the board. Uh, the animation, while, while this style of animation is not my favorite, it, it's, it's not bad. It's sort of the, the clean, safe, generic animation that most, uh, computer animated films have these days. Um, but yeah, this, the, the story and the writing in both of these, both How to Train Your Dragon 2 and How to Train Your Dragon 3, um, far above and beyond most of the fare that's aimed at children from this country, from this country at least. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty successful films and I really hope that other animation studios trust, you know, trust animation audiences to be able to deal with, you know, real emotions, but also be, you know, have, have smart stories and, uh, you know, I don't know, just, just make high, higher caliber animated films. Uh, There's a lot of great animated films that come out from, uh, you know, Japan certainly, but other countries as well. And they don't really pander to children. And also not all of them are aimed directly at children, but in the United States, uh, we still really, look at animation as a children's medium first and foremost. And, uh, you know, even that, that was sort of reiterated watching the Oscars. Cause at one point when they were pre presenting the animation Oscars, they, uh, certainly were making reference to, you know, uh, it being a quote unquote childish medium and which, you know, I found kind of offensive. I mean, obviously I, I'm not broken up about it, but it's just, it's a continuation of the, of that sort of school of thought that animation is solely for children. Um, yeah, but, uh, I digress. Uh, how to train your dragon two, how to train your dragon three, you know, I would give them both an eight out of 10, uh, excellent films. Uh, you don't have to have children or be a child to enjoy them. Uh, I certainly don't, uh, you know, some people would debate whether or not I'm childlike or not, but, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed them. And, uh, you know, particularly Jay Baruchel, I hope he does more voiceover work because, um, you know, he does, he does get live action work as well, but he is a very, you know, he's a, he's a kind of frail, sort of awkward looking physicality. Um, which oftentimes relegates him to bit parts and character actor pieces, which I'm sure is fine, but, uh, he, he's a, he's an excellent voice actor and I hope he gets more work because of it. So, uh, the next one that I watched was Wyatt Earp, uh, 
the Lawrence Kasdan directed version of Wyatt Earp. It's the second Western Kevin Costner has done with uh, Lawrence Kasdan. Lawrence Kasdan had previously helmed Silverado, which is one of those Westerns that a lot of people hold in high regard, certainly as a quote-unquote modern Western, even though it's, you know, close to 40 years old now, uh, or no, it's, it's, it's at least 30 years old. I haven't looked at the timeline on that. Something I'm going to revisit, but, um, you know, I remember when Wyatt Earp came out cause I saw it in the theater, uh, uh, came out in 95. Uh, I, is that correct? No, I think I have my dates wrong. Uh, 94. Um, but it came out, why the film Wyatt Earp and the film Tombstone came out around the same time. There was about six months between them. And, uh, what I didn't know at the time, but I learned when I was, you know, doing some research on this film was, Kevin Costner was originally attached to play Wyatt Earp in the film Tombstone, and uh, he had a difference of opinion with the director and screenwriter because he felt that Wyatt Earp should be the sole focus of Tombstone, where Tombstone, the film was about, you know, both Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and, you know, their, their sort of gang and Wyatt Earp's brothers who were lawmen. And, um... I remember at the time, I was a much bigger fan of Wyatt Earp. Uh, Tombstone is the more popular of the two. It was a certainly a financial success, and a lot of people like to quote Val Kilmer's take on Doc Holliday a lot, the, particularly the I'm your Huckleberry line. But, uh, you know, and I like Tombstone. But it's been a long time since I've seen that. Uh, it had also been a long time since I've seen Wyatt Earp. And, uh, again, it was, you know, I found a copy of it on Blu-ray at a pawn shop for a dollar. So I was like, yeah, I like that movie. Let's, let's watch that. Um, it has not aged well. Um, it's, you know, I didn't, when they first came out, I didn't really pay attention to box office and stuff like that. And it wasn't, the studio's numbers weren't, widely published the way they are today where you can find out how a movie's doing kind of uh, up to the minute um, uh, Wyatt Earp came out eight months after Tombstone and and was a box office flop it didn't even make its budget back um, but it, it really suffers from the writing it's also a lot of uh a lot of the scenes just really s- seem like they're set up like little like tableaus more than en- more than real scenes between people. And um, the biggest thing is I never really get a sense of the motivation behind Wyatt Earp. Uh, a lot of his, you know, some might say questionable decisions. It also, you know, in 2019, watching it, so 25 later... 25 years later, um, his stance towards women and his actions towards women, particularly the wives of his, his brothers and, you know, his mistress and his wife, um, is borderline misogynistic. Um, he doesn't really feel, or he states that, you know, what women want and think doesn't really matter to him. Um, 
and I don't know, uh, it's funny to look now to see that Kevin Costner was such a huge box office draw, uh, for, you know, a huge chunk of the, the nineties, the fact that, um, he really in this role doesn't have much charisma. Um, you know, I, I'm real hesitant to want to revisit, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and, you know, Dances with Wolves, but, um, I'll, I'll, I'll probably get around to rewatching them again at some point in the next few years. But, uh, yeah, really not that charismatic. And uh, there's so many actors in this film, uh, who have small parts, uh, that you kind of lose track of a lot of the characters, not other than Wyatt Earp, most of them don't have a ton of screen time. So, um, it's kind of muddled, you know, it is long, it's almost three hours, um, and there's not a whole lot of payoff for it being that long, um, it's a fairly boring film that, you know, the shootout at the OK Corral, which is, you know, part of American mythos, uh, is sort of a anticlimactic whatever scene in that, um, I will say, that uh, the big standout from this film, and I remember it at the time, and very much so in this as well, is Dennis Quaid's take on Doc Holliday. Uh, you know, he lost a fair amount of weight for the film. Um, he takes on an affectation I haven't seen him do in any other film. You know, most most movies that he's in, I like Dennis Quaid, but he's, you know, he he's usually plays very decent um, everyman and his take on Doc Holiday quite different. And, you know, I wanted to watch Tombstone afterwards to kind of compare and contrast, but, uh, have been hard pressed to find it on any streaming services. And I, you know, I haven't found a used copy of it anywhere, so I haven't watched it yet, but uh, interesting to compare it and see the pacing differences and whatnot. But, uh, yeah. Um, Dennis Quaid gave a great performance in an otherwise pretty underwhelming Western. Uh, you know, Western's one of my favorite genres. And um, if you had asked me a year, year and a half ago, and I think Greg and I had even done that, I think we even listed our favorite Westerns. And I'm pretty sure I might have even le- listed Wyatt Earp on my list if if we had done a top ten. Um yeah, it definitely would not make the cut now. Um, I'm not, uh, yeah, not a fan. It, it, it so much so that it really a lot of the directing choices and writing choices was making me start to really question Lawrence Kasdan as a filmmaker. He's someone that I've always had in the back of my mind as being someone who produces quality stuff. But you know, in the past couple of years, you know, particularly uh, him, him co co-scripting solo a Star Wars story with his son and some other films I'm like maybe he's not as great as I've always thought he was so um I did watch for for the next episode there was another Lawrence Kasdan movie that I watched a film called I Love You to Death uh which I didn't realize he had directed until I watched it so that I'll weigh in more on that when I talk about that in the next episode but um yeah, and then the final film that I watched was uh, The Legend of Billie Jean, uh, 1985 film uh, directed by Matthew Robbins. Um, this was a film I had really loved a lot as a kid, 
and, uh, you know, I didn't see it in the theater, but, uh, it was a staple of HBO for a long time, uh, or it seemed like a long time. It might've just been one summer, but whenever we didn't have HBO growing up, but my grandmother did. And so whenever we would go to my grandmother's house, me and my older brother would usually stay for a weekend or whatnot. And we would watch HBO at night to see movies. And, uh, this was a, this was a huge, uh, huge movie in my life. My, my young life, uh, you know, I was probably, yeah. So it was 85 when it came out, it was probably 86, uh, when it was on HBO. So I was, you know, 10 or 11 watching it and, uh, had a huge impact on me. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really familiar with the story of Joan of Arc at that point, and there, you know, there's reference and to Joan of Arc's story, and also there's clips from the black and white Joan of Arc film in this, and <coughs> really had me thinking about, you know, f- female archetypes in cinema, and or lack thereof for the most part. Uh, also, you know, I had a huge crush on Helen Slater from this film for a long time. Uh, she plays the titular. Uh, Billie Jean and you know it's interesting watching it now uh, seeing how relevant after the Me Too movement uh, a lot of the themes in this film are she basically plays a uh, a teenage girl who has a younger teenage brother who has a like a scooter and some they, they live in a trailer park and some obnoxious rich, affluent teenagers uh, steal his scooter and destroy it, and so she goes to uh, the place where one of these boys works and demands he give the money to pay for it, and then her father takes her, or his father takes Billie Jean upstairs to his office and then sexually harasses her, and she won't put up with it, and it's kind of like a, they go on a road trip and become her and several of her friends become folk heroes. Um, you know, the catchphrase fair is fair. Um, you know, she's demanding justice for what was done to her and her brother. Um, you know, a, a, a younger Yardley Smith, uh, who's more well known as the voice of Lisa Simpson. It's one of her friends, although she's, she was 21 at the time and she's playing, you know, I think they said 15 in this, but you know, she, she has a young face and still even in her fifties, looks very young, but, um, sorry, I'm, I'm going to pause that thought for a second. Cause I realized I didn't give a numerical rating to Wyatt Earp. I would give Wyatt Earp five out of 10. Uh, so anyways, the legend of Billie Jean, it, it is a little, it is a little melodramatic, but not really. It's, you know, it's held up remarkably well for a teen drama from the 80s. Um, I, I think it legitimately takes into account, uh, it, 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 it treats the, the largely teen cast as uh, legitimate adults you know, humans with, you know, feelings and reasoning. And so often 
particularly in this time time period, uh, teens were often portrayed just as you know one dimensional caricatures, not not flesh and blood humans. So it was, you know, it is refreshing to see that films like this were made at the time. And it's funny because it has become a cult classic, but it wasn't a success at the time. And it really was uh, both HBO and and home video that kind of gave it its its second life. And, you know, if you haven't seen it, um, it's certainly worth a watch. Uh, you know, I've probably seen this film 10 times. Uh, I probably wouldn't need to see it again anytime soon, but you know, in the next five or 10 years, I might drag it out and watch it again. Um, yeah, great, great performance by Helen Slater, fun early performance from Christian Slater. And, uh, the always reliable Peter Coyote plays one of the few sympathetic adults in this. And, you know, he, he did that as well in the film E.T. and has had several, several similar roles in the eighties. And, uh, yeah, uh, always enjoy the legend of Billy Jean and it has held up well. I'd give that a seven out of 10. So those are the films that I watched over the last week, week and a half or so. Um, like I said, there's going to be at the end, uh, Bob and my and Mary's reactions to the Oscars this year. But um, yeah, as always, I do appreciate you listening and I'll talk to you again soon. This is, this is my digital recorder. Um, so we just finished watching the 91st Academy Awards. One of the weirdest ones I've seen. It is definitely the weirdest. Yeah. Who, how many... We were keeping score as we watched. So Mary had six. I had seven. You had what? Nine. Nine. Yeah. I don't know what Greg Greg had. We'll have to he, he look at one. it. And uh, so either, I, I have a feeling Greg and I are buying Bob a meal <laughs> next time we gather together. But uh, yeah, Green Book just won Best Picture, which uh, it's, it's better than Black Panther winning. I'll say that. Yeah, slightly. Um, yeah, it was a. Uh, I I, I want to thank Bob and uh, Mary for inviting me or or allowing me to come over. I invited myself. Oh, oh it's background music. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was a weird. I do have to say, I didn't miss the host. Yeah, that, that was a nice thing. It seems streamlined. Yeah. Uh. I think Olivia Coleman winning was probably the biggest surprise of the night. I think so. I I didn't. I thought it was going to go either Lady. I thought Glenn Close was going to win it, but if she wasn't going to win, I thought Lady Gaga would win it. Yeah, the two acting awards that I thought they might give for sort of career performance would be Glenn Close and Sam Elliott, and neither yeah. one of them won. And but I thought for sure uh, Lady Gaga was a shoe in. I'm glad she won for best song, uh, and she was also like fairly hysterical with that so if she had one best actress i can't even imagine what her speech would have been like but yeah it would have been a little off the off yeah. the rails i will say i did enjoy olivia coleman's speech quite a bit it was fun because she clearly was not expecting to be the winner yeah which is i think she already gave her speech at the baftas because yeah pretty sure she won the bafta for it yeah which is the british oscars basically mm-hmm. yeah I was just surprised by the amount of Black Panther and 
uh, well, Bohemian Rhapsody was. Yeah. yeah. Green Book won a lot of stuff too, so yeah. Yeah. The uh, original screenplay, which came out of nowhere, because for some reason I, I knew it was nominated for that, but I always felt like it was based on a book. Right. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, 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 yeah, it was definitely one of the weirder Oscar ceremonies I've seen. Yeah. I get to drive half an hour to go home, but I don't have to get up early tomorrow. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny. I've had, I've seen a bunch of people uh, who earlier today were talking about the nominees and saying what a terrible year it was for movies and. It wasn't I don't a, think they saw enough. No, but they're they're like the only, these are the only two movies that deserve to be nominated for best picture. They were saying Roma and uh, the Favorite were the only two that were deserved to. Did they actually be. see Roma? Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. It's a friend of mine who's a photographer and her boyfriend. But uh, they're also like, I mean, they were like, how come you were never really here? Uh, didn't get nominated, and I was like, well, and. His his rationale was, oh, it came out too early in the year, which is part of it, but more importantly, that studio's too small to pay the fees to try and get considered, and that movie would never win Best Picture. It's too dark. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, I just think that was just too dark. I mean, Joaquin was in four movies, and I don't think that was his best performance in the four. That was the only one I saw. Uh, yeah. I didn't see He Won't Get Far Afoot or The Brothers, Sisters. Yeah. I saw Sisters, Brothers? Sisters, Brothers. And what was the other one? There's one other one I can't remember. Because I know I saw at least him in three. There's one other one. The one thing I will say is with the few awards that Netflix movies did win, I hope this will sort of encourage Netflix to produce more quality stuff. Because no, there's certainly quantity over quality. Yeah. I, I really don't think it's going to change anything. No, I'm sure. And I, you know what? Looking at it, that might be one of the reasons why the Academy didn't give Roma, just so Netflix can't have a best picture. Right, because they were trying to disqualify them before. But I, You can't disqualify them because it played in the movie theater. Right. Yeah. I don't know if it has to, I don't know if it has to play in a movie theater before they stream it. No, it can be at the same time. Because okay. I know... Because there's something that the Martin Scorsese, the new Martin Scorsese film that they're coming out in the fall that there was an ad for in this, it comes out theatrically and on Netflix the same day. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Which, I mean, I think that'll be the first, like, thing of that caliber to be done that way. Yeah. Especially named that big. Yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. And they're talking about uh, um, the first film for the MCU of, you know, phase four that they're talking about releasing it theatrically and on Disney plus at the same time to see how it goes. Those are such cinematic movies though. Right. Like I, I mean, I'm not a very good judge because right. I'll see anything in the theater right. anyways, but something like that, I would definitely, those, those are always packed. Yeah. They're always. Well, I think they're. I think they're doing it to see if they can shift it. Not it to shift it, but to see kind of take the temperature of will people see you know pay to go see it in the theater uh, as opposed to watching it at home. But I think if they do that, the box office is going to be a lot less. 
I would think. Yeah. I'd bet it would come down to when they released it. Yeah. Like if they released it at 7 p.m. on Thursday, the same time the first showing is. Right. If it would, because that's the thing is like, if they released it a day early, I bet they would get a bump because there's those fans that need to be the first to see it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for letting me watch the Oscars here. (laughs) No problem. Anytime. All right. (laughs) Mary, any final thoughts? (laughs) I'm <laughs> sorry.